at a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions. We need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a mindful moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. Hey readers, Anne here with a quick reminder that What Should I Read Next Live is happening again, Thursday, November 4th at the fabulous Malaprops Bookstore in Asheville, North Carolina. 6 p.m., free and open to all. Hope to see you there. Hey readers, I'm Anne Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 103. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with Katherine Reiling, a mom, math teacher, and new Alaska resident whose go-to genre is historical fiction, but she doesn't want to read it all the time, and that's where I come in. As you'll hear, her three favorites are seasonally appropriate and have something strangely specific in common. Today, we also dig into libraries versus used bookstores, copycat books that miss the mark, and the perfect climate for curling up with a thick book. Let's get to it. Katherine, welcome to the show. Thanks, Anne. I'm excited to be here. So, Catherine, you just mentioned when we were chatting before we officially began on the record that your family just moved to Alaska, which I have had on my mind because I just finished my first A1 Ivy novel, The Snow Child. <gasps> oh, that's such a good book. Yes. So did you read it before you moved? Yes. I actually read it a couple of years ago. Um, and she lives about an hour north of me. And works in a bookstore up there, and I'm dying to go and like surreptitiously meet her. You know, and be like, "Oh, I'm a big fan. I love your books." <laughs> At the time, did you have any inkling that you would be in Alaska right now? No. <laughs> How did you end up there, and where are you? Um, I live in Anchorage. My husband is in the Air Force, so we got stationed up here, and we were we were really excited to be here. We wanted to try living in Alaska, so um, yeah, now we are and. It's great. Where were you before? And what made what made you think Alaska might be fun to give a go? So we were living just south of Seattle uh, in Lacey, Washington. And we loved Seattle, like the water and the mountains and um, everything outdoorsy to do there. But the traffic was really, is really terrible. And so my husband had come up here for some of his training and he was like, well, let's try Alaska. There's mountains, there's water, there's outdoorsy stuff. It's like, it's like the wild west. And I was like, okay, yeah, let's try Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been there? Since August, um, two and a half months. And how is it? It's, it's really amazing. It's totally different than anywhere I've been. Um, everyone who lives here, I think is very pro Alaska. There's just like, this is an amazing place to live. You see mountains, 
like where we live in Anchorage, you can see Denali, you can see three different mountain ranges. There's water. Um, we saw beluga whales just driving down the highway. It's just totally different than any other place. And it's cold. It's cold. Too. <laughs> <laughs> that much I know. So how has that changed the rhythms of your life? That's a big move to a very different climate for you and your family. What's that been like? Well, we, so we just got to move into our house because we were waiting to close on it. So for a long time, we were staying in a hotel with our two little guys and, um, and our dog. And so now we're just so grateful to be in our house (laughs) that I feel like we're finally settling into a good routine. (laughs) So I know you're a math teacher by trade. Is that something you're doing now? Uh, right now, I am not teaching. Um, I have a a two, almost three year old, and a ten month old. So I'm just I'm staying home with them and loving it. I stopped teaching last year when I had my second child, but yeah, I love teaching and I I really want to get back to it at some point. It's just not not right now. While my little guys are so small and um, daycare costs are so extraordinary even in Alaska maybe especially in Alaska there's yeah (laughs) (laughs) I haven't even you know in Washington they were so bad so here I haven't even I haven't even looked well I know that you picked some scary stories to talk about today (laughs) so this seems entirely on theme (laughs) yes (laughs) I can imagine any big move really changing one's reading life but I don't know I have I'm suddenly realizing I have preconceptions about what one's reading life might be like if one is a serious reader and then finds oneself in Alaska. So can you tell me a little bit about what what this move has meant for you as a reader? Yeah. So in Washington, where we lived before, I was very familiar with the library system. So I almost exclusively used the library to find books. And I would just kind of you know, I would listen to the po- your podcast or look on NPR or different lists, and then I could request the books online, and the librarians would very nicely put them on a shelf. So I could just run in with my two small children and, like, grab a stack of books. I love that you said stack, not grab grab my book, but my stack of yes. books. <laughs> it was almost always, like, three or four. <laughs> And when we moved here, um, I could use the library, but I couldn't check things out because we didn't have a permanent address, not until recently. And so I found this really great used bookstore to find books to read. And But the stack of books has not really dwindled on my nightstand. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so... Um, in some ways it has really changed my reading life. Um, I'm not much of a Kindle reader though. I, you know, I do have quite a few books on Kindle and that was easy when we were moving. Yeah. I just don't have quite so many library books checked out right now, I guess. But, oh, a funny thing. One of our movers actually packed a library book of mine. And so I have to send it back to the library, um, now that it's three months overdue. What is the book? The one in a million boy. Did you find, have you read it? I read all but like the last two chapters. And now I'm like, do I read it again before I send it back? So I can, is it a really nice story? Um, or do I just send it back and 
with a note that says, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a developing situation. <laughs> yes. I, um, I should just finish reading it. I think before I, I mean, what's another two weeks in, um, in the grand scheme of this overdue book. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you've maxed out your fine. Yeah. It's not going to cost you anything extra to read it. <laughs> no. Okay, actually, the last chapter, I really love that book. And the last chapter has the only instance in the book where you hear from the boy directly. Oh, okay. Well, then I have to finish it. Okay, That is, yeah, that is a real thing. Maybe a little bit compelling. I hope. I mean, I really wanted that book that you have to go to all this trouble and all this expense for to be one you really, really loved. So, (laughs) Okay, I will finish it and I will update you. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to do it for my sake, but I mean, it would be really sad if you're like all this trouble, all this expense, and I didn't even like it. That would be sad. Right. Well, I liked it so far. And then when, so a military move, the movers come in and they throw, you know, they just put everything in boxes. And I was sitting with my children kind of reading and they were playing and we got up and moved to a different room and I came back and it was in a box. Oh no. <laughs> sealed. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> so you knew, I mean, you've known for a long time that this was in fact happening. Okay. Yes. And, and they're so busy that you can't just be like, can you please open all these boxes so I can find this one book that you stuck in there? Uh-huh. uh-huh. I mean, even the most devoted reader, I think, understands that that's a bridge too far. Yes. <laughs> What about the climate? So I'm thinking if I lived in Alaska, I would sit by the fire under my blanket and read all day. And of course, that's not really true. Like you do have to earn money and buy groceries and like tending to your 10 month old. That's probably a real thing. The three year old could fend for himself a little longer, but the 10 month old, not so much. But you're you're going from one climate that invites you to be like warm and cozy and read a ton of books in for what, how many months of the year, eight, nine, to another climate that does sound very conducive to staying inside, really. I mean, does that is that a factor for you? Or is this just something that someone says when they've really never experienced either climate for more than a week or two? <laughs> I, well, I think that's going to be very true. So we have like a little den in our new house, and it's got a cozy fireplace. And uh, we decided not to get cable TV. So I'm thinking that through this long winter, I'll be reading quite a bit. And I love, um, I think you were talking about it a couple of weeks ago, like a seasonal book where it's, you know, like um, The Snow Child would be perfect where it's mostly in winter and it's cold and, you know, it's, they're talking about how cold it is and it's set in Alaska. So I can see myself reading a lot, a lot this winter and, and really getting into some of those um, more winter-themed books. Okay. Yeah, I can see that too. Yeah. And um, a friend of mine and I are already planning to reread Little Women, um, which has such a winter feel to it. Christmas, really, but winter. It does. Okay. Well, if you're ready, I'd love to dive into your books. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Catherine, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book, can I say hate? You can say hate. (laughs) That's accurate. And what you've been reading lately, and then we'll talk about what you should read next. 
Let's start with your favorites. What's the first book you love? Okay. The first book I love is Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders. So this book is a ghost story, but it is not a ghost story in a traditional sense. It takes place exclusively in a cemetery. Um, and the ghosts in the cemetery are not scary characters. They're very tragic characters because they're stuck there. And I thought the author did such an amazing job of expanding my idea of what it meant to be a ghost and why there are more characters to be pitied than um, afraid of. And the book is also written in an amazing way. It's more poetic maybe than a novel and it takes some getting used to, but I would, I hate to think that that is off putting for anybody like to pick it up and start to read it and sort of stumble. I feel like the cadence picks up quickly enough that you can get past the um, stumbling block of how it's written. Yes. But yes, it is good to know going in. It is an experimental novel and it just won the man Booker prize. Oh, what a great pick. (laughs) I didn't know it won, but it's perfect for that. Uh, yeah. So this is very recent news. It beat out a few other, uh, solid contenders to take the prize this year. So, and it was the man Booker people kept throwing around the word experimental and a lot of people in advance weren't sure if they were going to award the prize to such an experimental, unconventionally constructed novel, but they did. And we've talked about this book on the podcast before and how if you're not so sure about the format, you might want to try the audio version narrated by a whole host of characters, including George Saunders himself and David Sedaris. I think Nick Offerman is on the list and Amy Poehler makes an appearance. And the the list of narrators, many of whom are actors and actresses, is very, very long. And I've heard a lot of readers say that this is one of the only books where they felt like they wanted to read it in print and listen to it on audio and sometimes at the same time, just so they could figure out what on earth was happening. Oh, <laughs> I bet the audio, I'm not much into audio books, but um, I bet that is really entertaining and interesting, especially with different voices for all the different characters. There are a lot of characters to keep straight in this book. That is for sure. <laughs> that is for sure. There's so many. And the lit on Audible, the list of the narrators is literally like a page long. And I'm not looking at my iPhone. I'm looking at my like 15 inch iMac and it's a page long. It's crazy. So Catherine, on your guest submission form, you said that you're primarily a historical fiction reader. And this story does does play with history we all know and interject completely new fantasy elements. But I'd love to hear a little about what it is about the historical fiction that appeals to you and if that was a factor in you loving this particular book. Yes. So I I have always loved historical fiction. And when I was a kid, I would read the American Girl books. And my sister just reminded me that we always read the Dear America novels and books like Caddy Woodlawn or Laura Ingalls Wilder's books. And um, so I just have always migrated towards that genre. And so I actually picked this book up first because it popped up on like a historical fiction list um, because um, Abraham Lincoln is a character 
in it. He's not really a main character, I wouldn't say. He's just sort of a periphery character. So I picked it up thinking, and I knew from reading a different novel a little bit about the reason that he's in this ghost story, I guess, and that's um, that his son died. And that was a book that I really liked also. So I just saw that connection. and I was like, oh, I'll read I'll read that. That sounds interesting and new. And so the historical aspect probably got me to pick up um, Lincoln and Sparta. Catherine, what's your second favorite? I think, okay, I'll save the creepiest for last, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I really liked um, News of the World by Paulette Giles. This book is a Western And it's set in Texas and Oklahoma before they were, well, maybe before they were states. I think before Oklahoma was a state. And it tells a story of an army captain or an army chaplain, maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, But anyway, he is supposedly rescuing this girl who was taken by Indians. And he's going to return her to her family somewhere near San Antonio. And so it follows their adventure. And I just, the author does such an amazing job of describing this setting where you could just see these two unlikely partners traveling in a wagon through like what I'm imagining, imagining as like sort of desolate landscape in Texas. And, um, I loved it because it was a different kind of historical fiction for me. Like I wouldn't normally pick up a Western novel and, um, and then, uh, and I loved that it was places that I had been. So I have, I've been to Oklahoma, I've been to Fort Worth. And so it was really cool to read about them when they were actually forts and not Okay. So this is also a little unconventional for a book. It's really short. It is really short. Yes. Yeah. It's only 209 pages. And this is, I know I have this in hardcover and there's a sticker on it. I think it was a national book award. I think it was shortlisted for that award. Yes. I'm seeing that gold sticker, but I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) And then a lot of readers have commented, some love it, some hate it, that it doesn't have punctuation marks. Did you even notice? Did you care? Is that a thing for you? You know, I probably noticed when I read it, but the it's so easy to read and interesting that I probably just was like, oh, weird, no punctuation, and then just kept reading. So if you love the story and you feel connected to the characters, it sounds like you're willing to go a little offbeat with the actual. Yes. Okay, excellent. That is good to know. Catherine, what's your third favorite? The the creepy one you've been saving. Okay. So this novel I also picked up because it came up on probably a historical fiction list and or like, you know, I typed in historical fiction on Amazon and it popped up. But it's set in the 60s and it's The Girls by Emma Klein. And this novel gave me nightmares. So I had to kind of read it in chunks. But it, I feel like, okay, so it's about a teenage girl, and she is lonely, and she happens to see these older women somewhere, and she's really captivated by them. Like, they seem really 
carefree and easygoing. And she starts to sort of trail them along. And she doesn't realize that they're in a cult. So it's about a cult. And I think it's based on the Manson. Well, I know it's based on the Manson cult. So this girl, it's sort of just this tragic novel because she is very naive about what's going on until she's in too deep. And I I think that Emma Klein wrote it in a very skillful way where the beginning feels really safe. And then at the end, you just have like warning lights everywhere. And you're like, what are you doing? Stop. This is not okay. (laughs) And it's a page turner. And I think it's just so scary because she, or scary to me because the girl seems so normal and is totally normal. And it just showed how she got sucked into this really awful situation. Okay, so it gave you nightmares, but you didn't put it down. What made you push through? Because a lot of people would have quit at the first nightmare. It, you know, it really sucked me in. It was, maybe this is me being naive or not knowing much about the 60s, but I was describing it to my mom. I was like, I'm reading this book about a cult and all these girls and this really creepy guy. And she's like, you're reading a book about the Manson cult in the 60s? And I was like, yes. I guess. I don't know. And she was like, why are you reading that? That's so scary. (laughs) But I wanted to know what happened. Like, I wanted to know if she got smart, you know, if this character got smart enough to cut loose or, and then part of it is also, part of the novel is also like her relationship with her mother. And I wanted to know, like, does she resolve things with her mother? Does her mother come get her out of this horrible situation you know, what happens. And it was sort of like, um, for me, uh, the Gone Girl was a similar one. Like, I really hated it while I was reading it because I thought it was so creepy. But I wanted to know what happened. And I had to find out. And I also read it in, like, a day. So, yeah, two days. So I had, like, nightmares. And then picked it up the next day. I was like, I have to finish this book. <laughs> <laughs> Fast. So as to limit the nightmares. Okay. Yes, yeah, so I could read something else before I go to bed. <laughs> okay. Because unlike your first two, this is not a short book. No, but it reads very quickly. Okay. So you wanted to know what happened historically, but you also were very invested in the character. Is that right? That is, yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Catherine, what's the book that was not for you? So the book I read recently that... I really didn't like what, and I, I just picked it up at my mom and dad's because it is a historical fiction novel. So it seems safe. And it was called the flight of Gemma Hardy. Um, I'm not remembering the author right now, but I picked up this book because it is set in Scotland sometime in the last century. Um, and what I didn't like about it was that as I was reading, I was noticing all of these different stories that we all know that did not feel very skillfully woven together. So it starts as a Cinderella story and with this poor orphan girl being raised by her, her aunt who makes her do the chores. And then it kind of went into a Sarah Crew story where she goes to an orphanage, starts as like a wealthy 
scholar and ends up a maid. And then it turns into a Jane Eyre story, but all just like very thinly disguised. So when Mr. Rochester came into the novel, I was like, forget it. I'm done. This is awful. But normally I would not finish a book that I disliked so much. And I finished this one. And when I got to the author's notes at the back, she was writing about how much she loved Jane Eyre and so wanted to write a novel similar to Jane Eyre. And I was like, this is not just similar. It's just the exact same, (laughs) (laughs) but not as good. So it was like a fractured fairy tale with Cinderella and a little princess and Jane Eyre, but not, not fractured enough to be funny and not close enough to be a retelling. Not you saying that it just didn't quite. Yeah, Uh, exactly. It just, it just didn't, it fell flat for me. It didn't have like the, yeah, it just didn't have the, the newness, I guess. Like there was nothing to distinguish it from, from the actual story of Jane Eyre, um, enough to make me interested in it. Okay. Catherine, what are you reading right now? Okay. So right now I am reading, um, one of my friends gave me this book. It's called Peony, Peony and Love by mm-hmm. Lisa C. Mm-hmm. And I, it's another ghost story, <laughs> which, <laughs> I, which is really funny, but um, it's sort of like, uh, a historical fiction version of the lovely bones where this character, the main character is dead and she's watching her betrothed and his marriage to a second woman. And it's based in China after the Ming dynasty is overthrown And the really interesting thing about this book is that it really has a lot of what I imagine are more like Chinese beliefs about the afterlife. So um, she's a hungry ghost, which I had never heard of. And um, a hungry ghost is a ghost that doesn't go on in the afterlife. She becomes a hungry ghost because her parents don't complete the um, ritual of like dotting her ancestor tablet, I guess, and putting it in their ancestral place in their house. So she ends up sort of wandering the earth um, instead of moving on. And how are you liking it? Well, I really like it. Um, It's, I wouldn't list it as a favorite of mine, but I'm enjoying reading it. And I like the, the part, I like the parts about China Um, I like reading what is different about um, the Chinese culture in that time and what is different about how they treat their dead and what they expect in the afterlife. I think that's all really fascinating. Okay. Catherine, what would you like to be different in your reading life? I feel like I always tend to get um, to go to historical fiction and it it definitely treats me well, and I love all the novels I read, mostly in that genre. But I would, <laughs> I would really like to find to read something different. And when I was a kid, I read a lot of fantasy or science fiction, and um, and I'm not much of a mystery reader, so I would be interested to find some mysteries that were exciting and new for me. Okay, do you always stick to fiction? No. Uh, <laughs> No, 
One of um, the best books I read this year, actually, it was Dead Wake uh, by Eric Larson about the Lusitania. And um, I found Bill Gates' book blog earlier this year and started to take some of his suggestions. And he reads a lot of nonfiction. Um, so I've read a couple different nonfiction um, books this year that have been really great. Um, Dead Wake was one. And then uh, Gene and Intimate History was really fascinating and dense. Um, <laughs> I've had that on my shelf for forever and I'm kind of afraid of it because it's very, very thick. It's so interesting. It, it's really amazing. And, um, it was one that I picked up kind of like I read it. I would read it in spurts. Like that was my nap time read for a long time. And then, and then I would read something else later, like at bedtime, but it's so good. And it's, and I didn't, so I haven't taken a biology class since high school. And I thought, so some parts were very, like, I had to remember, like, okay, what's a mitochondria? And okay, what, what are they talking about? But you know. <laughs> I'm not sure how much of that I'd remember either. Yeah, it's very good. And I feel like since gene therapy or gene research comes up so often, I feel like it gave me a more informed perspective of some of those sorts of things. So Fantastic. Well, I feel like we could take this in a million different directions. And we will, with your help, we will hone in and find you good books to read. Catherine, let's talk about your books. Okay. Here is what I'm noticing. It seems that you've managed to find very interesting books that on the surface don't have a ton in common, which is amazing. I don't know if you consider yourself an easy to please reader or as long as you choose what you like, of course, I guess we're all easy to please. <laughs> as long as I stay in my lane. Yeah, well, but historical <laughs> fiction is an enormous lane. So, and it's one a lot of people are in. There's been research done on people who are avid readers, the ones who read a lot more than the general population. And one of their big go-to genres is historical fiction. And interestingly, another big go-to genres for the, the people who read way more than the national American average, I believe this is American data I've read, not worldwide data. Avid readers who read more than 12 books a year read tons of historical fiction and tons of mysteries, also tons of series, which that series part isn't surprising. And they also tend to be avid library users. So you are checking all the boxes except for those mysteries. So maybe we should find you a mystery. So you're open to nonfiction. It sounds like you've made it a goal to read more recently. And you're interested in checking the boxes on a few classics, books that readers should feel like they should read one day. And, and that's the individual reader should, not my should. And I do see the theme of um, really interesting stories and characters, even if you don't like them, even if they're not relatable, but they're still compelling. Yes. I feel like I need a good character to really love a novel or a book in general. Okay. Now, first of all, I want to throw off a couple books for you that I don't feel like they really count because we've talked about them on the podcast before, but given what you've said, I really would like you to at least consider reading because I think you might really be glad if you did Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry, because it's another Western, wonderful story, one that lots of readers who say like, I don't like Westerns. I do not read Westerns. They're not for me, have picked it up and been really glad they did. It's enormous, but 
just based on how much you liked News of the World. Okay. My husband just read that because we heard it on your podcast while we were driving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we talked about it before. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) It seems like you're going in the wrong direction. And he loved he really liked it. He and he kept talking about the characters and he doesn't usually talk much about characters in books he's reading. Also Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin. Okay, that is on my bookshelf, but I haven't read it. (laughs) How do you feel about baseball? Baseball? (laughs) That's not what you were expecting me to say, huh? No. Um, I do, I do really like baseball. Uh, I'm a Mariners fan, so it can be a little hard to like baseball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're Cubs fans around here, which never goes well until last year. It's so strange. Like, where are we and what happened? <laughs> okay. So we're pivoting these, these books are cousins actually, or maybe they're like second cousins, news of the world. And this Doris Kearns Goodwin nonfiction. I mean, that's all she writes is nonfiction. But she has this really interesting memoir. Uh, This is a much more personal book than most of what she's written. It's called Wait Till Next Year. And here's, I wouldn't recommend this to everybody, but because you're so interested in like immersing yourself in other times and places, and this is a really important one in in the place you live, that being the United States of America, not Anchorage, Alaska, but I don't know, I guess you could stretch. She wrote this memoir called Wait Till Next Year. And in it, she writes about growing up a huge baseball fan in the 1950s, in the suburbs of New York City's, in the post-war era. And she writes about experiencing the Cold War as a child and this time when our country was in a big period of transition and how that was uh, not just symbolized, but actually how that affected her beloved Brooklyn Dodgers. But she writes about um, how she bonded with her dad by learning to score baseball games and how they listened to the games together on the radio. And just those little details, like they listened to the games together on the radio really immerses you in this different time and place that feels very accessible, but also completely different than the era you and I are living in. So this was first published in 97. It's not brand spanking new, but I kind of like that about it for you too. Does that sound interesting at all? It's not long. It's less than 300 pages. It's been out a while now. It'd be easy to get at the Seattle library. I'm not sure about the Anchorage library. And it's just really interesting to hear this person who's so devoted to telling other people's histories, to hear her kind of tackle her own life and you hear how and why she became so interested in preserving the stories of bygone eras. I think that sounds fascinating. And just as you were saying, like baseball, 1950s, New York city, Brooklyn, I was just sort of like imagining a Brooklyn street with all those like brownstones. Yes. I mean, that sounds really nice. She (laughs) talks about going to the corner store and hanging out with the neighbors and like skipping off to school by herself when she was seven years old. Like it's a different time, which was really fun to read about, but it doesn't seem so far away that you just think that it sounds like the stuff of fiction. Like, you know, this happened to someone who's still alive and writing in our generation. Right. Yeah. That sounds really good. Um, really, really interesting. Now to take a heart and more accessible than team of rivals. (laughs) (laughs) No team of rivals. 
is so good. You have to, I realize this sounds ridiculous. You have to give it grace for the first hundred pages because if you start reading it, you'll be like, who are all these people I've never heard of and why do they matter? She tends to be exhausting, but in the same way like um, Ron Chernow can do, except for those first, those first pages. Um, it's not dry or dull. Like she's, but it takes a long time to set the scene for a 900 page book. But once she does, you're like, Oh my gosh, how did I never learn this? Or I just didn't understand. Like I only understood one aspect of the story happening over here. And I didn't realize how all these other pieces were also going on and also really mattered. And why didn't anybody tell me this before? So I think any book any nonfiction book that can make you say, I can't believe I never knew this is really impressive. Like I love that in a book. And I know that I am far from the only nonfiction reader who loves that experience. Well, so that, that definitely sells it to me more than I think I, I, I picked it up quite a few years ago. I think when president Obama was, they were selling it as like he had read it to make his cabinet. And I was like, Oh, that's really interesting. But you just sold it to me way more than that. I'm glad to hear it. Well, yeah, because one one is reading it out of duty and the other is reading it because it's really fascinating. And those are two very different motivations. That is very true. And then to like U-turn and go back the direction we came from, 112263 by Stephen King is also coming to mind. And again, it's one we've talked about on the podcast before. I think we might've talked about it on the very first episode of What Should I Read Next? Because I think Jamie Golden might've chosen it as one of her favorites. But it's a story that relies heavily on actual history and goes from there in the same way that Lincoln and the Bardo does. So that one is about the Kennedy assassination and it is not scary, but it's seriously creepy. And I feel comfortable recommending you a seriously creepy book. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's three titles, but we're only counting one towards your, towards your tally here. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I am really wondering Okay. First of all, I'm wondering if I can just like bomb you with books. Are you okay with that? Sure. Okay. So since we are camping out on creepy today, have you ever read Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte? I have not read Wuthering Heights. I personally, all right, readers, get your pens ready or your fingers ready so you can type out your hate mail. I personally think it's a book that I never want to read again, but I'm really glad I read and I just read it in the past few years. And so this is gothic novel, passionate love story between um, Catherine Earnshaw and Heathcliff. So you, as a reader, it's good to know who those characters are because they're referenced in fiction all the time. And I've realized that if you've not read those books or you don't know about those books, you just don't get it. And it's fun to know what other authors are talking about. Like to, to actually spot the literary references makes you feel like, oh, I am among readers and I understand. So thank you for writing to me. I was going to say, this is a polarizing novel, right? Like people either love Wuthering Heights or they hate Wuthering Heights. And I feel like most of what I've heard has been hate Wuthering Heights. Or they start reading it and say, are you kidding me? I cannot get through almost 500 pages of this. But I'm, I'm really glad I read it. I love that I read it. But the story, I'm like, this was supposed to be a great love. Are you kidding me? So you can read it and see what you think. It was a really important book. And it's not always fun to read important books, but sometimes it is to see, oh, this is where that idea came from. Or, you know, like, oh, I never really understood what it meant to be a gothic novel until I read this. Uh, that can be 
genuinely a fun experience as a reader. But for a way more accessible gothic story that will let you experience a different kind of feel of a book and will take you back in time because we're going to choose something historical. I'm wondering if you've ever read The Distant Hours by Kate Morton. I have read something. I have not read The Distant Hours. Okay. I like this for you because it's got a huge historical element. The story flips back and forth in time. So you have a modern day woman on a quest to figure out old secrets. It's a bit of a literary mystery. And then you're going back and forth to a story that has everything to do with World War II and what that did to people's lives. And much of the action takes place inside a literally falling down castle, like the actual building is decaying. And there's a family of sisters and there's an outsider coming in to unravel their mysteries that they are not so keen to give up. And it's just got this feeling about it, like this ominous atmosphere hanging in the air where you're like, I'm not really sure what's happening, but I think I want my flashlight and a friend. It's not the stuff of nightmares, but it's not scary, but it's really gloomy. Yes. Very moody. There aren't any actual ghosts, but like these sisters definitely seem haunted by what happened then, like the memories of what happened long ago. And it's just a really good story. How does that sound? Oh, that sounds interesting. I really do love novels where it's two different main characters and you you get, or a couple different characters, you get their different perspectives on on a situation or when they're flipping back and forth between um, time periods, I think it's, it's just really great and fun to read. Yeah. And I feel like as a contemporary reader, it really invites you into the story. Oh, yes, definitely. Okay. For book three, I'm thinking about going with another historical novel that flips back and forth in time, set on the Queen Mary. How does that sound to you? Oh, that sounds really interesting. So this is A Bridge Across the Ocean by Susan Meisner, and it came out last March. Hopefully you can find yourself a copy now. (laughs) And this also flips back and forth in time, and events are heavily dependent on World War II. That's been a real theme in fiction for the last 10 years. I've read a lot of World War II novels lately. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, too many? Does that make it bad? No, no. I'm just, I'm trying to picture the cover of this because I think I've, I've either seen it in the bookstore. um, I don't think I've read it, but. Susan has beautiful covers. Okay. So this is of a woman. Um, You see her torso. She's wearing a really pretty I think it's a blue fancy dress and she's wearing white gloves and she's holding flowers and you can see like a very misty city, like in the background. Oh, yep. I, no, I can usually like remember a book by its cover, I think, but, (laughs) but no, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like something I've read. (laughs) Okay, great. So here's what made me think of this story for you. When you think ghost story, you think something scary and this is a story about ghosts, but it's not scary at all. Okay. So we have, we have a woman who can see ghosts and this draws her in to the story of the Queen Mary. And after World War II was over, the Queen Mary was used to transport war brides back to New York Harbor where they would reunite with their spouses. So that was a really interesting historical 
like actual event that I didn't know anything about. I appreciated that. And for as many conversations as I've had in my life about um, people who can see ghosts, like when we bought it, you just said you moved recently. When we bought, our, we moved back in February and we closed on our house after all the papers had been signed. One of the new buyers said, I have to ask you something really important. And my husband and I were like, great. Okay. What is it? So she wanted to know if our house was haunted. And we were like, oh my God, like, why would you ask what happened to you in our house? What are you talking about? And she's like, no, 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 no. Uh, like, I just, I just am super curious. I find those stories fascinating. And I just, I just wanted to know before we moved in. And we were like, didn't you want to ask us before you signed all those papers? <laughs> like, I think I'd want to know this. I think it's part of real estate disclosure. You have to say if you suspect a house is haunted, like it's part of a disclosure. Well, what happened next was a lively discussion among the realtors of all the stories they had ever heard or weird situations they witnessed in the process of buying selling houses for probably 30 years each. Oh my goodness. Between them. So, uh, you know, this is something that actual people talk about, but it's not a theme in fiction very often. And which isn't what I'd expect. Like maybe it just sounds too far fetched if you're not actually writing fantasy to to include like the ghost story element. But but Susan goes there and it's kind of fun and it the, it didn't end up where I expected. And but it's extremely readable, story driven, a character you want things to end well for in the present day, and also characters you're really rooting for in the past. Um, war brides with more complicated histories than seems at first. How does that sound to you? That sounds really interesting, especially now I'm, I feel like I'm going to go Google the Queen Mary and learn more about <laughs> the war bread ship. <laughs> you absolutely should. That sounds like a fun, a fun internet rabbit trail. Yes. <laughs> Catherine, of those mm, three to what, six, seven books, depending on how you want to define it, <laughs> what do you think you'll read next? Okay. So I feel like I want to read something long and sort of gloomy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking, I'm trying to like think of all the happy books I've read lately and there's just not very many. So, (laughs) you know, like a lighthearted novel, but, um, I feel like I might pick up the distant hours next. All right. I like the sound of that. I can't wait to hear what you think. Catherine, thanks for talking books with me today. Thanks, Anne. It was really fun. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Catherine today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for Catherine and let her know there what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 103, that's 103, and it's where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Readers, don't forget to join us in Asheville on November 4th for What Should I Read Next Live. This fall, we've done several events in independent bookstores. They have been amazing, and I hope you get to experience this for yourself. Saturday, November 4th, 6 p.m. Hope to see you there. Readers, one of the easiest ways you can support the authors and podcasters you love is to write a review. It's free, it's quick, it's easy. You don't even have to be wearing pants to do it, but it makes a big difference to us. If you enjoy this podcast, I would appreciate it so much if you would review it on Apple Podcasts because that makes it easier for your fellow book lovers to find our show. If you enjoyed my book of reading people, how seeing the world through the lens of personality changes everything, would you take a minute and leave a review on a site like Barnes & Noble or Amazon or Goodreads? Your fellow readers rely on your reviews to decide what to read and to listen to next. And that's why writing a quick review means so much to your favorite authors and podcasters. Thanks in advance for those ratings and reviews. I appreciate them so much. 
If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.